Want to try it again? Wait for me. Shalom. Shalom. Ah, there you go. Now you know how to make a nice Jewish boy feel like he's right at home. <laughs> Actually, I do uh, feel very much at home. I'm grateful uh, for inviting you, inviting me to, to minister with you today. I'm grateful to Pastor Clint for inviting me. I'm grateful that the Lord has brought us all together. My name is Avi Snyder. I'm with a ministry called Jews for Jesus. I'd like to introduce my wife, Ruth. We're uh, visiting. We live in uh, Budapest, Hungary. I'm curious, have any of you ever heard of the ministry of Jews for Jesus? A number of you. Well, then I'll go home. <laughs> no, no, not yet. <laughs> um, sometimes I encounter people, they'll say something like this. They'll say, Jews for Jesus? How long has that been going on? And I usually like to say, about 2,000 years. <laughs> you know, people forget that all of the first Christians were us Jews. People forget that all of the first missionaries were us Jews. And that's who and what we Jews for Jesus are. We are missionaries. This ministry actually began about 45 years ago in the States. And uh, now, by God's grace, we have missionaries in 14 countries around the world. Um, I have the privilege of... Uh, being the, the European director of our ministry, which means that I oversee the work throughout Europe and uh, the former Soviet Union. My wife and I moved to the Soviet Union when it was still the Soviet Union to start the work of our ministry there. It was very exciting. We got to see the collapse of the Soviet Union from the inside. Very thrilling days. We currently live in Budapest. I don't want to go into a whole long story. Uh, I'm not here to, uh, to give you a commercial, though I do want to ask you to do one thing. Uh, before I, I share with you uh, from the Word, um, did all of you receive one of these cards? You didn't slip up your hand, would you? I've got some extras. Oh, a few people. Maybe, uh, can I recruit somebody to... Uh... Thanks, Mallory. Um, even while I'm speaking today, and then at the end of the service, uh, while I'm speaking, I'd like to ask you to, um, to fill out this, uh, this card front and back. Actually... You can tear the card here. This smaller part is a prayer reminder. And uh, later on in the service, I'll, I'll tell you something very specifically that you can be praying about for the work of Jews for Jesus. The larger part, I'd like to ask you to fill it out while I'm speaking, and then at the end of the service, um, place it uh, into one of the offering baskets, either here or in the back, or give it to me, give it to Ruth. Whether you give a gift or not, we want to stay in touch with you. And this is how we can stay in touch with you. I want to send you our free Jews for Jesus newsletter. I have a very selfish reason. I want your prayers. And I believe that as you read our newsletter, as you read about the ways in which God is using the work of Jews for Jesus globally, I think you will be provoked to keep us in prayer. We can't do what we do unless people like you are upholding us in prayer. And we, in turn, will remember to pray for you. Um, I want you to understand the heart of Jews for Jesus, and the best way I can show you our heart is by sharing with you some thoughts from a passage of Scripture I especially love. Uh, the young gentleman uh, read uh, the Scripture this morning. It's from Romans chapter 1, actually verses 15 and 16. We heard verse 16, but I want to start in verse um, 15. Open up, if you would. To Romans chapter 1, we'll look at verses 15 and 16, where the apostle 
Paul says these words. He says, as much as is in me, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, also to the Gentile. In these two brief verses, the Apostle Paul tells all of us at least five very, very crucial points. If you understand these five points, you will understand what drives the ministry of Jews for Jesus. You'll understand our heart. What does Paul tell us? He tells us what we must proclaim. He tells us how we must proclaim. He tells us why we must proclaim. He tells us to whom we must proclaim. And he tells us when we must proclaim. Let me unpack this a little bit for you. What must we proclaim if we're sincere believers in the Messiah Jesus, the Messiah Yeshua? What are we commanded to proclaim? Well, in verse 15, Paul says, I'm eager to preach to you the gospel. In verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What did Paul proclaim? The gospel. What are we commanded to proclaim? The gospel. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, sure, Avi, that's obvious. You know, it's obvious. But, you know, it's very, very easy to proclaim everything except the gospel. In fact, there are many good biblical messages that are not the gospel message. And if you're already a believer in Yeshua, if you've already repented of your sins, placed your faith in what he has done for all of us on the cross through his death and his resurrection, if you're already a believer in him, then you don't really need to receive the gospel message except as a reminder. You have received the gospel message. Now there are messages that are other biblical messages that you and I need to hear to strengthen us in our faith, to provoke us to love the Lord with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, with all of our strength, to love, provoke us to love each other as we love ourselves. These are good, solid biblical messages. But this is not the gospel message. What's the gospel? What's the message that the people outside the walls of this building need to hear? What's the message that my people need to hear? The gospel. And what's the gospel? Well, the gospel is called the good news in Hebrew, besaratovah, the good news. And it is good news. It's also bad news. So what do you want to hear first? The good news or the bad news? Hmm? Good news. I'll give you the good news first. The good news is that God loves each one of us so passionately that he has provided a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and restored to a correct and everlasting personal relationship with him. That's the good news. What's the bad news? The bad news is that we don't deserve anything from God except his eternal wrath and his everlasting judgment. Why? Because we're sinful, because we're separated from him by our sins. Every one of us, we're born 
with rebellious hearts, rebellious spirits, and we practice that rebellion throughout our entire lives. It's because of our rebellion against God that uh, our lives are never fulfilled, no matter what we do. Men try to build great empires. We try to leave a name for ourselves. Nothing that we do lasts. Nothing that we do ever satisfies us. Why? Because we're cut off because of our rebellion from the only one who can really affirm us. We're cut off from the only one who has a genuine, worthwhile plan for our lives. We're cut off from the only one who can actually say to us, well done. And so everything that we do is vanity and chasing after the winds. All because of our rebellion. Because of our rebellion that our relationships don't work. We can never be the spouses that we want to be. We can never be the children that we want to be. We can never be the friends that we want to be. We can never be anything proper in any relationship. Why? Because every relationship we have is corrupted by sin. This relationship has been broken because of our rebellion, and now every other relationship we have is corrupted. And the sad thing is that we enjoy our rebellion. We enjoy our anger. We enjoy our vindictiveness. We enjoy our jealousy. We enjoy these things. But even if we get the sense that it's wrong and we want to change, we can't. We have no ability to change. We're slaves to our nature. We can't change. And so we live our lives in rebellion against God, unsatisfied, broken relationships, and then we die. And we enter an eternity separated from him forever. And we deserve it because of our sin. That's the bad news. We need to be rescued. We need to be rescued from the judgment that we deserve. We need to be rescued from the power, the hold that sin has over our present lives. And so we come back to the good news. The Father loves us so much that he sent the Son to rescue us. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price that I deserve to pay for my rebellion. He paid the price that you deserve to pay. You know, he screamed from the cross. You're aware of that? We read through the gospel accounts and we miss the fact that when he was on the cross, he screamed in agony. He screamed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you ever wonder why those words? On the one hand, he was pointing us to Psalm 22. It was his way of saying, even though I'm in agony, it's all happening exactly the way the Lord said it would happen. Because Psalm 22 is a picture of his crucifixion. It begins with those words. But there was another reason why he pointed us to Psalm 22. In that moment, in a way that we'll never really be able to understand, in that moment on the cross, he was experiencing the torment, the agony of being eternally forsaken by the Father. And he screamed in agony. 
Why have you forsaken me? That was supposed to be my scream. And that was supposed to be your scream. But he loves us so much that he willingly endured that agony so that we will never have to scream that scream if we repent and receive what he did for us. And then he rose from the dead. Why? Well, a lot of reasons. I'll tell you, I think my favorite reason for the resurrection so that we can be forgiven. Let me explain. If my crimes have caused a person to die, to suffer and to die, even if I'm remorseful, even if I'm repentant, I can never go to that person and say, forgive me. Why not? Because he's dead. Corpses can't forgive. And all I can do is spend the rest of my life living in agonizing remorse because the person's dead. But Jesus is not dead. He's alive. And when we come to him with repentant hearts and ask him to forgive us for what our crimes against him caused him to endure, then our hearts hear the most wonderful words that can ever be spoken. He says to our hearts, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. And then he gives us a gift, a brand new relationship with the Father, an eternal relationship with the Father. Scripture is called the gift of eternal life, an unending, intimate, personal relationship with the Father that begins the moment that we re repent and, and lasts for eternity. And it's ours, that moment that we repent. That's the gospel. But there's a problem. You see, um, when you proclaim a message that requires people to acknowledge their uh, sinfulness and, and repent, people don't like you very much. You ever notice that? So Paul tells us how to proclaim the gospel. He says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, we must proclaim the gospel without shame and without fear. Um, we Jews for Jesus just completed, well, in May. We had a month-long outreach. It was the end of an 18-year global program. I won't go into a whole long description, but it ended with a month-long evangelistic outreach in Jerusalem. 200 of us from all over the, uh, all the branch offices throughout the world gathered together. We divided up into 10 different teams, each one with a different focus uh, of a particular part of the, uh, the Jewish population in Jerusalem. I was with the, uh, the Russian-speaking team. There were 20 of us on that team. The results were phenomenal. Uh, we interacted with over 5,000 Israelis throughout the course of the month. 200,000 people visited our different language websites. Probably most exciting of all, 58 Jewish uh, men and women gave their hearts to the Lord in the uh, the ongoing work uh, continues. Um, we hope in the very, very near future to be able to establish an ongoing presence 
in Jerusalem. Sounds great, but I'll tell you a secret. I am ashamed of the gospel, and so are you. You want proof? (laughs) We are ashamed of the gospel because we fear the rejection of people more than we fear God. We are ashamed of the gospel whenever we choose silence, even though God has told us over and over and over again to speak. But we don't acknowledge that we're ashamed or afraid, do we? We say things like, well, I don't want to offend anybody. That's not true. What we mean is, I don't want that person to become upset with me. I don't want that person to dislike me. You see, the most important thing in my life is that everybody likes me. In fact, the most important thing in the universe is that everybody likes me. In fact, that's why Jesus died and rose from the dead, right? So that everybody will like me, right? No. (laughs) Not long ago, we Jews for Jesus made a very important strategic discovery. What people think of us is not the issue. What people think of Jesus is the issue. I'm going to do something dangerous. I'm going to make you a promise. It's always dangerous to make a promise, huh? I'm going to make you a promise. I promise you, if you cultivate a holy life, if you spend hours praying and reading the word, and if you go out and proclaim the gospel filled with the love of God, I promise you, people will still not like you. I promise you that. People didn't like Jesus when we understood what he was saying. You're going to live a, a, a more holy life, a more sanctified than him? The gospel always divides. It always polarizes. The only people who will like you are the people whom God is drawing to himself. Everyone else, when they understand what you're saying, will be offended. That's part of the power of the gospel. Those of you who are younger, learn this lesson now. So long as you are correctly identified with Jesus, and so long as your life is demonstrating the reality of the gospel while your lips proclaim the message of the gospel, you will be rejected. Learn that now and embrace that reality and proclaim the gospel without shame and without fear. We must proclaim the gospel. Why? Paul tells us, third point. He says in verse 16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. What does that mean? Well, very simply, what that means is that without the gospel, people die and go to hell. (laughs) Is that too direct? We Jews are a very direct people. We don't know what it means to be subtle or low-key or silent. Without the gospel, people die and go to hell. That's what it means. We don't know each other. We're strangers, although in the Lord, we're brothers and sisters. So we'll have uh, all of eternity to get to know each other more intimately after today. But even though we're still, um, technically speaking, strangers, uh, 
I'll speak with you very personally. I'll tell you something that breaks my heart. Wherever I go, I seem to encounter Christians who um, give me a conflicting message. On the one hand, they tell me how much they love my Jewish people. That's always encouraging. And then they tell me how unnecessary it is for me to bring the gospel to my people. Why? Well, because we Jews are the chosen people, and therefore, we don't need the gospel. We should just love the Jewish people. God has a separate plan for them, or no plan is even necessary. So just love the Jewish people and be silent. Because we Jews don't need Jesus. Really? That's interesting theology. Um, how many of you have read John chapter 14, verse 6? Any of you? I read it once, maybe twice. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Um, what do you think? For people in the state of Georgia, are those words true and necessary? Do Georgians need uh, to believe in Jesus, yes or no? I agree. How about for people in Brazil? I agree. How about for people in Korea? Okay. But when Jesus spoke those words in history, who was he speaking to? Who were the only people in the room when he said those words? Wait, wait, wait. Let me give you a clue. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, said to a Jewish audience at Passover, a Jewish holiday, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If those words are true and necessary for you, and they are, they have to be true and necessary for the people to whom he spoke. Now, you might be thinking that this is strange, whoever would think that, um, whoever would think that, that you don't need to bring the gospel to the Jewish people. You would be surprised. It's a growing, growing heresy in the States, especially among committed Christians who say that they love my people. And it's a rampant disease throughout Europe, especially in countries like Germany, where there's so much guilt over the Holocaust that there's no desire to bring an unpopular message of any kind to my people. So let's just love them and let them die and go to hell and then justify it theologically by saying that God has another plan. It's a false teaching, and you will hear it here. I want you to remember that you heard from me. It's a false teaching because it contradicts Scripture. It's a dangerous teaching because it imperils the spiritual well-being of my people. It's a dangerous teaching because it imperils the church. You see, the moment that you say that God has another way of salvation for any group of people, you will soon be saying that God has another way of salvation for every group of people. This is such a, um, a heartfelt issue for me. I, I felt compelled to write a book. In fact, I brought copies of it. Um, I have them on a resource table in the back. You might want to look at it later. You'll understand how to, uh, to pray for us more effectively. Uh, the book is called 
Curiously enough, I entitled the book, Jews Don't Need Jesus and Other Misconceptions. It's a false teaching because it contradicts Scripture. It's a, a dangerous teaching because it imperils my people, it imperils the church, and it imperils the cause of world evangelization. How do I say that? Why? Fourth point. Paul says in Romans 16, he tells us to whom we must proclaim. He says to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. Oh, that's a problem, isn't it? Why did he have to say that? Why couldn't he have just said to everybody? Why did he have to place a priority on who the gospel is supposed to go out to? Why did he say to the Jew first? You know, it's curious. Paul was a nice Jewish boy from the city of Tarsus, educated in uh, Jerusalem under Gamaliel. Uh, When he became a believer, however, he was not called to be the apostle to us Jews. He was called to be the apostle to you, (laughs) to the Gentiles. And yet you see in every single city where he preached the gospel, starting in Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and ending in Rome in Acts chapter 28. In every single city where he ministered, he always preached the gospel to us, to his fellow Jews first. And here he says to the Jew first. Why? Was he a Jewish nationalist? (laughs) No. He was a Jewish missionary, and he understood a central key in God's plan for bringing the gospel to the world. And that was Paul's responsibility, to get the gospel to the nations. Paul understood why we were chosen. Paul understood why we were called. The scripture clearly teaches from Genesis 12 through Revelation 7 that we Jews as a nation have received only one call. You know what it is? To be an evangelistic light to the nations, to be a community of gospel witnesses, to be messengers of the gospel to the world. And so Paul always began his ministry in every new city by first bringing the gospel to the future messengers so that we would join him in bringing the gospel to the world. You see, we can't proclaim the gospel until we believe the gospel. And we can't believe the gospel until we hear the gospel. And we can't hear the gospel until someone brings it to us first. Let me tell you the best way, the best way to interfere with the cause of world evangelization. You ready? Take notes. If you're an opponent of the gospel, write this down. This is important. You don't want to forget this. This is how you can impede, how you can interfere with the cause of world evangelization. Keep the gospel away from us Jews. Keep the gospel away from the people who are supposed to be in the forefront of proclaiming the gospel. Keep the gospel away from us, Jews. In fact, better yet, kill us off. 
If that's too drastic, then, um, then just remember not to pray for the salvation of the Jewish people, even though that's how the Scripture commands you to pray when you pray for Israel. Paul said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they will be saved. Don't do that. Don't do that. Keep the gospel away from us Jews. Don't pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. Don't pray for those of us who bring the gospel to our people. Believe the lie that we Jews don't need to hear the gospel in order to be saved. And maybe Jesus will have to wait another 2,000 years before he comes back. But give us the gospel. Pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. Pray for those of us who bring the gospel to our people. And Jewish people will hear the gospel, and Jewish people will repent and believe, and the call gets awakened in our hearts, and nothing can keep our mouths shut. It's just part of our psychological, spiritual DNA. We were created to proclaim, and we do. I've been a missionary to my people for um, 40 years. Why? Two reasons. Because I love my people and I want to see them saved. And number two, because I live for the day when my people will do their job. And that day will come because Paul says in Romans 11 that the call that God gave to Israel has not been revoked. There will be a day when a repentant nation is in the forefront of God's final wave of world evangelization. I live for that day. I labor for that day. And every once in a while, I see hints of it happening in Europe. Some years ago, we started an ongoing evangelistic project that we call Life from the Dead. There's so many cities in, in Europe where our history is so tragic. Cities like Berlin, Frankfurt, Nuremberg, Moscow, Warsaw, Poland, Budapest, where Ruth and I live. Cities where we lived, cities where we died in huge numbers. You know, in the flesh, there's no reason for us Jews to go back to these cities. History's too dark, too tragic. But as believers, we have a moral obligation to go back to these cities with the gospel on our lips. That's life from the dead, because when we come back to the cities where we died, proclaiming God's message of life, of eternal life, no one turns a blind eye. No one turns a deaf ear. No one can ignore our presence. I'm not saying they like us. Listen, we're Jews. We don't expect people to like us. But no one can ignore our testimony. And everyone engages with us, Jews and non-Jews, and people hear the gospel and come to faith. The call will be fulfilled. Finally, finally, Paul tells us when we must proclaim. He's told us what we must proclaim, the gospel. He's told us how we must proclaim without shame, without fear. He's told us why we must proclaim, because only the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. 
He's told us to whom we must proclaim, to the Jew first, for the sake of the nations. And now he tells us when we must proclaim. He says in verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. There's an urgency in his words, in the Greek. It's as though he's saying, I'm ready to preach the gospel right now. Anybody want to guess how old I am? What do you think? 15, 16? No, a little older? What do you think? Don't worry, you can't offend me. I'm too stupid to get offended. How old do you think I am? Hmm? Pretty close. I'm 67. Yeah. I would have been older. I was sick a year. No. (laughs) I mentioned a moment ago that... uh, I've had the privilege of being a missionary for 40 years to my people. Um, it's, it's a joy when I think of the fact uh, the Lord has used Ruth and me really to pioneer the new works of Jews for Jesus globally. I don't say it as a boast. I say it <laughs> as a word of astonishment. We've, we've had the privilege of pioneering works in six countries around the world. And by God's grace, they're, they're standing and they're, they're strong. It's been a good 40 years. It's been a fast 40 years. Do I have another 40 years left to preach the gospel? No. Do I have another 10 years left to preach the gospel? I don't know. Do I have a month left to preach the gospel? I don't know. Do I have five minutes left to preach the gospel? Some of you are hoping I don't have another five minutes left to preach the gospel. (laughs) Do you remember what Jesus said to the apostles in John chapter 9? He said, we must do the work of him who sent me while it is day. Soon it will be night when no man can work. Soon it will be night in my life. That's not a terrible thing. That means either he's coming back or I die and I go to be with him. Such a tragedy. But one way or the other, night is coming. And when I'm with him, I will not be proclaiming the gospel. This is the only time that I have. This is the only time that we have. We must preach the gospel now, while it is day, because night is coming when no one will be able to work. So, pray for us, Jews, for Jesus. Pray for Ruth and me. I, um, I mentioned this smaller part of the card. Take a look at this for a second, would you? This is for you to keep, this, this little prayer reminder card. There's a blank line on one side. 
There's some margins. I want to give you uh, two prayer requests to write down. I would be grateful if you hold on to this smaller card for a little while. And uh, as you come across the card, just lift us up in prayer. Two things. Number one, pray for the ongoing follow-up work in Jerusalem. We already have a very strong team in Israel. They're all native-born Israelis, about 30 young men and women, but they're all based in Tel Aviv. We need to establish a second work in Jerusalem. The work is going extremely well, especially among the Russian-speaking Jews. By God's grace, Russian-speaking Jews, wherever they are in the world, are especially responsive to the gospel. That's been true since uh, the late 1980s. That's why we moved to the Soviet Union. And that's true among uh, the Russian-speaking Jews in Israel. But just pray for the ongoing work um, in Israel. Pray for the establishment of a strong Jerusalem branch office and team. That's one way you can pray. Another way that you can pray for us is for this other project that I mentioned in Europe, Life from the Dead. The next big outreach that we're planning as part of this project will be in the autumn of 2019, a very, very large evangelistic campaign in Warsaw, Poland. If you know anything about the history of our people, then you'll understand why just the name of that city causes us to to cringe. That city needs to hear the gospel, and it needs to hear the gospel from us Jews. So pray for life from the dead in the campaign in Warsaw. That's 2019. Pray for the ongoing work in um, Jerusalem and for the establishment of a Jerusalem work. There's a second way you can stand with us, by the way. Uh, Let me help you. Ruth and I brought some literature with us. It's on that resource table. Take a look at that book that I mentioned, as well as some others. Maybe there'll be something there that will encourage you, build you up in your faith. There is a final way that you can stand with us. That's financially. Um, if, if you feel inclined to want to give a gift to the, uh, to the work of Jews for Jesus, we will be grateful. It doesn't go uh, to Ruth or to me. It goes to the evangelistic work of Jews for Jesus, specifically for the work in Budapest, which is uh, one of our newest branches strong work, thriving work, Um, but the church in Hungary cannot really support missionaries. So we have an indigenous team, but we need to raise support, at least for now, outside of Hungary, so that they can focus on doing what they need to do, which is proclaiming the gospel. Anyway, if you give a gift, that's what the gift will go for. Whether you give a gift or not, I do hope that you fill out this larger card. Put the card uh, into this basket or the one in the back, or give it to Ruth or to me, so that we can stay in touch with you and send you our newsletter so that you'll know how to pray. Thank you for listening to me. Let's pray now, shall we? God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you for bringing the gospel into our lives. We thank you for Jesus who came, who is the gospel, who died for our sins, who rose from the dead. We thank you, Lord, that the day is coming when you will return in glory. We look forward to that, but we pray, Father, that for those of us who know you, that in the meantime, as we wait, as we watch, that we would occupy, that our lives would be filled with pursuing the agenda that you have for each one of our lives, pursuing your plans for our lives, not our own to the end that men and women hear the good news 
and have the opportunity to come to a saving knowledge of you. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that you would bless them and keep them close to you. I pray that people from this church would be a beacon into the entire community and beyond. Do me a favor, keep your eyes closed for a moment, would you? I'm presuming that uh, most, perhaps all of you, have already given your hearts to the Lord. But maybe there's a visitor here, or maybe there's someone who's heard the gospel all of your life, but you've never really responded to the gospel. You heard the gospel this morning. And so before I close this prayer, If you've never given your heart to the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to respond in a very simple way. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you know that there's never been a time in your life when you genuinely repented of your sins and turned your life over to Jesus, the one who died for your sins and who rose from the dead, if you know that you've never really done that, or if you have a question about that, then right now, while everybody else's eyes are closed, let me ask you just to slip up your hands so that I can see, so that Pastor can see. One of us can come and talk with you afterwards and try to answer any questions that you might have. Just now, while everybody else's eyes are closed, if you want to give your, your heart to the Lord for the first time, or if you have a question about your standing with the Lord, just slip up your hand so one of us can see and talk with you afterwards. Thank you so much, Father, for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for screaming at you this morning. Don't forget to fill out this card and put it in the basket or give it to Ruth or me. God bless you. Shalom.